welcome to another episode of The Athlete's Advocate. I'm your host, Ashelle Tack, professional athlete and the author of The Reality Behind the Glamour of College Athletics. On today's show, we are joined by former Major League Baseball star, two-time World Series champion, one of the best postseason hitters in baseball history, author of Catching Heat, The Jim Lurets Story, and radio personnel, Jim Lurets. How are you doing, Jim? I'm doing good. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you for coming on the show. No, thanks for having me. It's, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Well, you had quite a career, Jim. You know, 11 years in the league, two world champions, tons of wins, and the list just goes on. You know, with your success, a lot of people would think that it was easy for you, but that wasn't actually the case. You went undrafted initially after leaving Kentucky, but you were signed as a free agent, making your debut with the Yankees in 1990. For all the athletes out there that get defeated when they think that they will get drafted but don't, you know, what can you tell them based on your experience and how you were, you know, able to turn your situation into a winning one? Yeah, you know, it's a situation. It's 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 the same thing that you hear over and over again with professional athletes and how they've gotten to where they've gotten. And it's it's the one thing about just knowing that you're going to fail and you're going to, but you never give up. And it's you know it's the old Dwayne Wade get down get knocked down seven times get up eight. You know, it's all you know. Michael Jordan has talked about the amount of failures he had, even making his high school team, but then going on to to be Michael Jordan. Uh, I was kind of the same way. I was I was supposed to be a draft pick, a, a top draft pick out of high school, out of Cincinnati, Ohio, with a guy named Barry Larkin, who, if you know anybody knows baseball, that had a Hall of Fame career with the Cincinnati Reds. And Barry and I were teammates in Cincinnati, and he was supposed to be the number one pick out of Ohio, and I was supposed to be the number two. In 1982, the year we graduated, and four days before the draft, I went out and played tennis, and I fractured my foot to a point where I was going to be out three weeks. And the team that was drafting me was the Atlanta Braves, and they had commented to my dad that they were going to take me. And back in those days, they could talk to your parents. And uh, they asked my dad if I was willing to sign, and my dad said, well, when he gets home, I'll talk to him. I came home with a cast on my foot, and he's like, what the heck happened to you? And I said, well... It's not a big deal. I'll be back in three weeks. He said, it's a big deal. The Atlanta Braves were going to make you a draft pick. And now I have to tell them you got a broken foot. And so the Braves watched, you know, again, can you imagine the disappointment that I had um, realizing that, that this was my one opportunity out of high school to get drafted and that I was going to lose that opportunity. And then the Braves came back at the end of the summer after watching me play and said to my dad, hey, we'll still sign him as a free agent. But, you know, what, what, would it, what would it take? And my dad said, give him $10,000. And the Braves said, all we can give him is five. And my dad said, forget that. He's going to go to junior college. So, so thinking that here's my opportunity now in junior college to where I, you can get drafted every year out of a junior college. Well, I, I have a great freshman. I have a great sophomore year. I don't get drafted out of either one of those. And again, the disappointment thinking, okay, is this going to be, this is, is this going to happen? Is this one opportunity that I had back in high school, you know, going to hurt me? Uh, but I just said, you know what? I'm not giving up. I went to the university of Kentucky, thought this was, I was going to go one more year and I was going to be a draft pick. And sure enough, I had a great season at Kentucky, but the scouts did not come calling. And I was really disappointed. And my roommate at Kentucky was a guy that lived in Hayes, Kansas. And in Hayes, Kansas was the Jayhawk League, which was for college baseball players who want to go out and play summer ball in a collegiate league. And I went out there and I, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep playing. And we went out there. And sure enough, at the end of that season in the NBC tournament in Wichita, 
the New York Yankees came up to my dad in the, in the, in the stands and said, hey, we want to sign your kid. Uh, you know, we see he's back to catching again. We were told that he couldn't catch. That's why we didn't draft him. And sure enough, the New York Yankees sat down with me the next day, and I ended up signing as an undrafted free agent in 1986 with the New York Yankees. You know, it's crazy how people think, you know, our lives are just like a straight shot. You know, you you play high school, you play college, then you enter the league. But, you know, they don't get the backstory of what you just went through, you know. Um, and after having such an amazing career, retirement was knocking on your door. You know, speaking for every athlete out there, nobody's really truly ready for retirement or to walk away from the game. So how were you able to move on knowing that you gave it all you had and that you had nothing left in you to give, you know, were you prepared mentally and emotionally for your next step, you know? Well, as if you ever, if you ever read my book, Catching Heat, you understand that what, what kind of faith I have and, and I, in living by faith. And uh, it really started uh, with the end of my career. And it wasn't because it, it wasn't because they told me I couldn't play anymore. Uh, what had happened is I had just gotten custody of my boys after my wife was battling drugs for quite a quite a long time, and she just couldn't kick the habit. And I ended up getting custody of my three boys. They were two, seven, and nine at the time. And I was out of baseball for two years with an injury, and I had just gotten healthy. And the San Diego Padres offered me a million-dollar contract to come back and go to spring training with them. And if I made the team, I'd get the million dollars. And I went to my family court judge in Florida, and I said, you know, your Honor, I want to take my kids with me to San Diego. And the, the family court judge basically said to me, if you go back to play, despite her drug addiction and her problems, your two seven- and nine-year-old sons will stay with her. I will not give them to you to take with you. So as far as retirement hitting me, that was more of, okay, wait a minute. You know, Could I possibly go back to playing in San Diego, knowing that my kids were being raised in a household that may not be able to take care of them? And it was a real simple decision to say, you know what, that's it. I retire. And I'm really kind of glad as I look back on things that that was the decision I made because I don't think my kids would have had a chance. And again, at at two, seven and nine, there was no way I was going to leave them. So my retirement was a little easier to accept only because I knew over it, it, it was more important for me to be home and be a dad than it was to continue to be the athlete. And I, I had played 11 years. I'd been in three World Series. Uh, there wasn't really much more for my career I really needed to accomplish. And coming home and being the best teammate of all, that was going to be dad. And uh, that was the decision I made in uh, 2004. Yeah, and it seems like you had a full career as well. You know, um, mentioning your kids, it's kind of interesting how – as athletes, we already have a lot of stressors that we have to deal with, you know, our bodies breaking down, um, keeping our mental, you know, state stable to be able to perform and just all of the things that come with being a professional athlete and playing at the, you know, elite level. Um, you know, and a lot of us have kids, you know, we have kids that we're raising while we're playing. So how was that experience for you being a dad, um, and playing at the same time and having to attend to two important things in your life and kind of balance that out? Yeah. You know, it was, it was very fortunate that, uh, both of my, well, my first son was born in December, so I was home for that. Um, my second son was a little bit more difficult because he was born four days before the World Series. Um, yeah, and we actually had to induce labor uh, because we had to make sure that I was able to play. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and I still think to this day he's probably the youngest 
four-day-old ever to attend a playoff game in World Series uh, than any other kid that's been out there because my wife wanted to be there and watch me play. And, you know, we, we took him in his car seat, you know, to the games. Um, but it's, it becomes more difficult as the children get a little bit older. When they're younger, when they're three, four, five, they really like going to different states and different places and traveling on the road with, with me. I took them everywhere, all, all the trips that I had. And it was, you know, they loved going to the Baltimore Harbor and, you know, and watch and see the aquarium, see, you know, uh, go into New York and go to Central Park and hang out during the day and play. And there were, there were certain things that they loved about it. But when they start to hit five, six, seven, the, the high school, the school years, then they start to have a little bit more, um, it, it, it becomes affecting your career a little bit more. Uh you know, I again, I was different than a lot of people. I spent probably fifty thousand a year taking my kids and my wife on the road with me everywhere we went because I didn't want to miss those first steps. I didn't want to miss those first words, and uh, I was very fortunate fortunate to be able to do that. Right, and um, I think right now, I think what we're trying to communicate out there to the world is that we are athletes, but we also have personal lives. You know, um, we're not just robots. We don't, we don't, we just don't play the sport. We also have personal lives for normal people outside of fields and courts and stuff, you know, and for you, apart from your success on the field, you actually struggled with some personal situations like any other athlete out there um, during your professional career that kind of brought challenges um, as well. So for athletes that go through the same things, you know, how do you try and reinvent yourself when unforeseeable situations occur that you may that may or may not attack your you know professional career or sports image um and how do you keep pushing forward when that's threatened in a way yeah yeah i was very fortunate because once i made the decision to come home and take care of my kids and not know where i was going to earn because i spent pretty much all the money that i had earned playing uh getting custody of them because it was such a difficult fight in florida um and then about two, a month after I made that decision, MajorLeagueBaseball.com, an internet radio, which back in those days, this is 2004, uh, no one had ever heard of it before. And it was just starting. And they offered me a contract to do, my, do a radio show for three hours a day from my house that they would uh, be, you know, satellite it up to New York. And I, I did this show for three years from 2004 to 2007. So I was very lucky to be able to continue to do and talk about sports and baseball in general uh, and, and just interview people and, and do games and things like that. I was very, very fortunate, but where I hit a wall and where I hit a lot of athletes hit a wall is sometimes, you know, I had an accident in 2007 where I was drinking and driving. And unfortunately the other driver was drinking and driving also, but she lost her life. And it was a very difficult time for me because even though that I never should have been drinking and driving, I knew that I did not cause the accident. And I wanted to wait for three years to prove that in court. And it took three years to wait. But one of the things I learned going through that was that all of a sudden now I wasn't considered Jim Lairitz, the king of New York, the World Series champ, the home run hitter. It was okay. So, it, it was portrayed, you know, and, and again, what most people didn't know because the media didn't cover it that way is that at that time I was earning about a half a million dollars doing TV of, you know, for MLB.com, for, for ESPN, and I had just got done covering in the World Series the Red Sox uh, run to their 2007 championship. 
And unfortunately, like I said, I had the accident. Uh, and the way the media and the state of Florida tried to portray me was this washed up drunk ball player who couldn't accept retirement. And it was just really, really a difficult time. But one of the things that really kept me going was that fight and determination that I learned being a professional athlete, getting to that level that, you know what, I am not going to settle for less than what I think, you know, what the truth is. And I fought for that truth. And fortunately, I did beat the state of Florida. And, you know, I was guilty of drinking and driving, which is what I deserved. Uh, but at the same time, I really think what I learned as a professional athlete, what I learned achieving that really helped me uh, fight and not give up when probably 90% of the people going through what I went through, waiting for three years, knowing that when you got to court, the jury threw it out in less than 30 minutes. Waiting for that was probably one of the most difficult situations, but I cannot thank my fight to be a professional athlete more because it gave me the determination to do that, to fight that battle. And then, like you were just talking about, what do you do now when you when it's all over with, when you've been portrayed in completely something different and beyond? How do you get yourself back? And that's... And that's what I've been doing the last eight, nine years. Um, and it's the same determination. It's the same thing that says, listen, I have a goal. I want to provide for my family. I know that I'm educated and I can pick up a trade. I can pick up something. I've been very fortunate enough to transition to, to uh, title insurance for commercial and residential real estate. I went out and I got my real estate license for the state of New York. So Again, it was something that when I put my mind to it, that I was going to try to achieve it, that I was going to somehow, some way do it. And that's all because, you know, of, of what I learned thriving and trying to become a professional athlete. Right. And I think, you know, uh, perseverance and um, resilience are the two things that we first learned as athletes, you know, to keep going and keep fighting um, and not give up when the going gets tough. Um, so I'm glad you were able to fight for yourself, you know, and we hear stories and we see stories all the time of media portraying certain athletes a certain way or you kind of, they kind of spin a story in a way where it's entertaining for other people, but not really speaking truth of, of the situation or the person. Um, and I think it's time that we hold, you know, media accountable for what they put out there because stories and narratives like that matter and they can tarnish your brand. They can tarnish, you know, your character uh, mostly, and it can, you know, prevent you from getting opportunities after you walk away from the game because the game isn't all you have, you know? Um, so that's very important. Now our sports do require that, you know, we are physically fit. And as, as long as our bodies can perform, we can perform. Um, and when our bodies give up, you know, that's when it's time to kind of move on to bigger and better. And for you, you were actually able to channel your, channel your passion and commitment for helping others, you know, into raising money um, and, you know, uh, putting out awareness for numerous ch uh, charities that you're working with, you know, numerous uh, charitable organizations. Now, what type of causes do you support um, and raise awareness for? And then what type of charities do you work with as well? Yeah, you know, I've been very fortunate, you know, in 1996, when I hit my big home run in the World Series that really made me, you know, one of, you know what I am in New York. Um, the day that I hit that home run, I had sponsored two little boys back in, in June. And of course, my home run was October 23rd, 1996. But back in June of 96, I sponsored two little boys that were in a foster care program. And 
I started getting involved with this foster care program in New York. And these two little boys on the day that I hit my home run got adopted into a family. And I didn't know that that day, the next day when everybody was calling me for interviews and trying to tell me that, you know, what a great home run it was and all this, this one woman who wrote the article about these two little boys called me up and said, I just wanted to let you know, I know it's crazy right now because of your home run, but more importantly, those two little boys got adopted into a family and they're going to wake up every day with someone to tell them that they love, that loves them. And you know what, that right there really put everything that I was doing in perspective and made me understand from that day forward that I would never stop using the platform God gave me because of the talent he gave me to play baseball and play for the New York Yankees, that I would never stop using that to help others to do, to, to give back because Mr. Steinbrenner taught that to us. And my biggest causes right now, honestly, are, are foster care children um, because, uh, you know, it's it's one of the situations that it's so hard that once they turn 18, if they haven't been adopted, usually the path they go down is so destructive because there's no one there to help them. Uh, yeah, I'm involved in a, in a project here in California called the Teen Project, and it's to help girls that have timed out of the foster care system that have been taken to the streets and prostitution and drugs. And what we do is we provide them a, an opportunity to get clean, an opportunity to get off the streets. We have houses in LA and houses in Orange County that we can house up to 85 to 90 girls. And we help get them off the street to educate them, to get them scholarships, to get them to college. Uh, it's just a great program to be able to help young women who have been sex trafficked and, uh, and, be, and to be able to help. So I'm really involved in that in California. And then in New York, I've been involved with the ALS chapter uh, because my brother-in-law died in 2010 from Lou Gehrig's. Uh, so that's a special thing personally to me. And then I also worked for a company called Pink Tie for quite a few years that raised money for all charities and foundations that needed help, uh, financial assistance. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just great. I'm, I'm, I've been so blessed because I was a New York Yankee, because I was a, a World Series hero champion, to be able to use that platform to give back to others and to make sure that, you know, it, I, I use that platform for the right reasons. Right. And it's always encouraging um, to see athletes, um, you know, big time athletes at that, um, giving back to the community um, and using their gifts and passions away from the game to be able to help others. You know, so that that's great that you were able to do that. That's truly amazing. Now, apart from helping people, you have a podcast that highlights stories and insights from sports legends and celebrities. And I've actually got the opportunity to, uh, to kind of check out a few episodes and I'm enjoying it so far. Um, now, for those that haven't gotten the opportunity to check it out, what is it about and what kind of insights and stories are you sharing? You know, what purpose does Catching Heat serve? Well, yeah, it's exactly what you just talked about, how the media doesn't cover certain things, how it, it's usually a negative connotation when it comes to professional athletes, especially those who put on kind of a pedestal. Um, and in my whole podcast, when they came, when, when Stork Media came to me to do this podcast, they were, they, I, I can guarantee you they thought that I just wanted to do a sports podcast because that's what I am. I'm an athlete. Well, when Kristen called me and said, we want you to do a podcast, how do you want to do it? And I said, here's what I want to do. I'm so tired of all the negativity. This was during COVID. All the negativity, everything that's going on right now. And really, what, 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 you know, what happened to me personally, what I've watched happen to other athletes personally, I want to do a podcast where I take a former athlete, 
celebrity, somebody that's had a lot of success in their career, who has either had a fall from grace or had a little hiccup or has gotten out of that career and moved on to something else to where they're going back and doing something, whether it's a foundation, whether it's a charity, giving back to other people. And I want to highlight those type of people because you know what? That's a positive influence. And I, you know, my first guest was Daryl Strawberry. And I first thing I said to Daryl Strawberry was, Daryl, you've been out of the game for 20 years. The last time I saw your name in the New York Post or the Daily News was the day you got kicked out of baseball because you had a drug addiction and you had all these problems. And the only other time I saw your name is when you screwed up. For the last 10, 15 years, you've been opening up drug rehab clinics all around the United States. You become, you've become you been ordained as a pastor. You're, you're speaking at churches. You're bringing people to God. When's the last time the New York Post or the New York Daily News or the New York talked to you about what you're doing to help other people? And he said, you know what, Jimmy, you're right. Nobody asked that. And that's why I started the, the podcast, Catching Heat with Jim Lairds, because that's what I wanted people to hear. I wanted to hear inspiring stories, people that have overcome obstacles and have gone on not only to help themselves, but to help other people. And I just thought that was important for a message to get out there in today's world. Yeah. And I think that's why I enjoyed it so much because it's highlighting real stories um, and it's getting, it's giving you the opportunity to kind of know them for them and not because they were this type of athlete or this is what they've done in their career. And so it's just sitting down um, and really learning who the person is, you know what I mean? Um, And so I, I think it's amazing, honestly. Now, after leaving the game, you stayed relevant in the media and the sports world doing, you know, doing your radio work and coaching, and you even authored a book that we said earlier, um, published in 2011, you know, what is your book about and what inspired the content? You know, what is your story? Yeah, that's kind of one of the things where sometimes God tells you that when you want something to happen, it it happens on his time and not your time. Uh, so in 2007, in November of 2007, um, I, the book originally was written and it was called the King and dad. And as the story I just told you about coming home, leaving the game at baseball to come home and be the best teammate of all, and that would be dad. It was all about me leaving the game at baseball, coming home, giving up the nickname, the king, giving up the bright lights in the big city of New York to be the best teammate of all. And that was dad. And it was about my father giving up a lot of his job promotions. And eventually the book was supposed to come out in 2008. Harper Collins is going to buy the rights to it. They were going to publish it as a Father's Day book in June of 2008. And unfortunately, I had the accident in December. And as soon as all that media came out and everything else, HarperCollins ran the other way and said, we're not doing this, which is totally understandable. Um, during those three years of waiting for trial, waiting for you know to get to go to court, um, I was speaking at a church with a bunch of kids, and a woman approached me hearing my story not knowing I was this professional athlete, just hearing the story I was telling about don't drink and drive and about don't, you know, you know, just don't ever give up and don't settle for less than the truth by taking the easy way out. And that's what I was doing by not taking a plea. And this woman heard me speak and she said, you know, you have sound like you have a really inspiring story. Did you ever think about writing a book? And I was like, funny, you should say that. <laughs> I have 108 pages. Here you go. And I sent it, gave it to her and she read it and she's like, Okay, no matter what happens in your trial, I know you're telling me that you won't go to jail. You won't see a day once you go to trial. But 
no matter what, we want we want your book. We want you to add three more chapters of what you've gone through these last three years waiting for your day to go to court. But and we want you to tell the whole story. And so Jeffrey Lyons, who's the movie critic, and his brother are really good friends of mine. And I reached out to them and said, will you guys help me with this book? Let's finish this, you know, this, this book. And they said, yes, but we can't use the king and I or the king and dad. Let's change the, the, uh, the name of the book to Catching Heat, because not only were you a catcher that caught heat, but also you caught heat in the media. You caught heat. With... Yeah, exactly. And when Doug Lyon said that to me, I said, that's perfect. That's a great title. So we changed the name to Catching Heat. And sure enough, 2011, the book came out. And, uh, you know, it's really been getting more traction probably over the last three years since I've been do, out doing more speaking and more public speaking because people are, they weren't aware that the book wasn't publicized great and they weren't aware that I had a book out. And so it's really starting to gain more traction now. That's amazing. That's truly amazing. Now, um, for all the athletes listening right now, how would you, how, do, how would you tell them to stay legit in the sports world when there's so many, you know, so much noise out there or when they're done physically and they still want to be involved within the sports world, but they feel like they have nothing else to provide after, you know, they, they aren't able to provide their talents. You know, how, how do they stay relevant? How do they stay legit? You know, how do they stay within this world? You know, I mentioned, I, I always, when I speak to a group of kids in college, um, I always mention, you know, it, I, I, I'm sorry, when I speak to a group of college athletes, um, I always talk about, you know, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. My best friend was a guy named Tommy Brenneman. And he was a great, a pretty good athlete too, but he never went on anywhere past high school. But he went, to, he went to Ohio University and he went into broadcasting, just like his father. And Tommy became one of the most successful broadcasters in probably over the last 20, 25 years. And I tell these kids all the time, Tommy Brenneman probably made more money than I ever did. And had a longer lasting career because, you know, you can, you, can, you can do TV and radio broadcasting forever. So even though maybe your career ends after college, you don't get that opportunity to be a professional, or even if you're the professional athlete and your career is over or an injury took you away and you have to start over, there are plenty of opportunities in, in, in broadcasting, whether it's now podcast, whether it's, you know, doing local radio or local TV. There's so many other avenues that you can take uh, becoming a, you know, a agent's assistant uh, to recruit players. Um, you know, I, I tell kids all the time, becoming an agent, you know, getting involved in, there's so many minor leagues and now independent league baseball for baseball players that they can go into. And, you know, I, I have an older boy who's 26 years old who played four years in the minor leagues and he got cut finally and gave up. And I said, okay, well, you're not done. Guess what? You got, you, what you've learned, you've been a professional athlete for four years. You can go teach other kids how to hit, how to field, how to do speed in a you can use what you've learned and have a pretty good career. There's so many avenues that kids have nowadays after their playing careers have ended that I just think, man, the opportunity, I wish there was that much out there when I was out there because, you know, there would have probably been 70, 80% more of the players my age 
that would have had more opportunity to do different things. Uh, you know, I was blessed, like I said, because I got the radio and TV career, but I just didn't get that opportunity. There is so much more out there and don't be afraid to go after it because what you've learned to gain the success, even to be a college athlete, the discipline that you learned, you can translate that into getting your real estate license, getting a, you know, a, a, you know, any type of license that you want to try to get to, to do something else, you have the discipline to do that. So use that and, and channel that energy into, into something new. Great words. <laughs> Great words. Um, you know, that this has been such a wonderful conversation with you, Jim, and I've enjoyed listening to your story. Um, now, before you go, what is one thing you would leave with our listeners today? I, I mean, it was the, it's, the, it's the words that my father told me, keep the faith. And I, I, I've, I've done that throughout injuries, throughout, uh, you know, the, my trial that I went through, throughout, you know, getting custody of the kids, all the battles that I've been through, I've totally kept my faith in God. And, you know, it, it's one of those things that um, I, I can't help stress enough to, to guys. I read a book called The Purpose Driven Life, and I'll just tell anybody that's out there. You may not really like religion. You may not, it may be not your thing, but this book called The Purpose Driven Life will teach you things not only to be a good Christian, but also to be a good husband, to be a good father, to be a good son, to be just be a good friend. And I think it's one of the best books. The great thing about it, I will tell you this, as athletes, we have a short attention span sometimes. You know what? You read 40 chapters, and you only read one chapter a night. So I think most of us can do that. And honestly, I read that book in 2008, right after my accident, and it changed my life forever. And again, it's not one of those Bible-beating books. It's, it's just a good book that if you take the core values of becoming a good Christian and attach that to whatever else you want to do in your life, like I said, be a good husband, be a good partner, whatever it might be, these these you know, these 40 chapters can change your life. And I would suggest that to anybody that's having some struggles. Amazing. Now, where can people connect with you? Where can people access your podcast, buy your book, you know, um, be involved or support any of the projects that you're currently working on, whether it's individually um, or with partners or anything of that sort? Well, yeah, as far as the podcast goes, it's called Catching Heat with Jim Lyritz. And you have to put in with Jim Lyritz because I did a podcast back in 2008 called Catching Heat. And we only did one episode and it got cut, but it's still out there. So it's Catching Heat with Jim Lairitz. Uh We do have a uh, Twitter and, and uh, we have a Twitter and Instagram page at Catching Heat. I have my own Twitter account, which is the real Jay Lairitz. And then JimLairitz.com is my website. It's where you can go if you need me for a speaking engagement, if you need me for a golf outing, if you if you need me to to, uh, to purchase my book, Catching Heat. All of those things are on that website, and you can and there's a calendar of my events, what I'm doing, and where I'm at. So uh, go to that site, and uh, no, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to, to talk about everything. Yeah, definitely. You know, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it's so nice to see that after a successful 11-year career, you are now channeling your passion for helping others and committing um, to working with multiple charities to help raise funds for these charities, you know. Um, and also thank you for advocating for your, for athletes in this space um, and for commitment for your commitment to helping at-risk youth. You know, I think that's truly important and you're, you're truly doing the, <laughs> the Lord's work. So thank you for that. Um, we love the podcast and what it stands for and wish you all the best. Thank you again for coming on the show. 
Well, and thank you for having me and best of luck with your podcast. It was, it was, it was a pleasure. Thank you.